Hi there, I'm James Dapperty, and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Team, today we're going to talk about an injunction and an application to dismiss that injunction. We're dealing today with a plaintiff, and the plaintiff is a company that's part of a reasonably large international group, and essentially what they do is they lease office space. The defendant is a former employee of that company, a former reasonably senior employee of that company. And what happens is, over time, this former employee sort of clicks through the gears of the organisation and signs a number of employment contracts and, and is essentially promoted over time and uh, at various times they're provided with, as I say, the new contract to sign. The most recent contract the employee has provided does a couple of interesting things that we're going to get into. It extends the notice period for the employee to quit their job. Instead of one month notice, which, which you see in a number of employment contracts, the employee is required to give three months notice in order to quit, effectively. And in addition to that, the restraint of trade, the ability for the employer to prevent the employee from working for competitors is extended and increased somewhat. I think you already know where we're going. Um, so in about February 2023, the employee quits, purports to give four weeks notice, and accepts a role with a competitor starting in early March. So quits in early Feb, starts in early March, essentially on the understanding that this four-week notice period is going to apply. Now what happens is, as soon as the plaintiff gets wind of this going on, the plaintiff comes to the court and makes an ex parte application, makes an application in the absence of the employee for an immediate injunction preventing the employee from doing that. And the court says, yes, that's fine, but um, we're going to get the employee back before the court quick smart to see if the employee wants to seek to have this thing dismissed. And the short point is the employee does want to seek to have the injunction dismissed. Now, in order to get and maintain an interlocutory injunction, what you need to show is that there is a serious question to be tried. You've got to show, hey, there's a real juicy argument here for me to get my injunction. So the plaintiff had to show that. And you have to show that the balance of convenience favours the injunction being granted, right? The injunction is a pretty violent bit of relief. Uh, and so you've got to show that all the circumstances um, are in favour of the injunction being granted. And the one, one test, one way to phrase it sometimes is, hey, would it be easier to give this injunction or just pay damages at the end of the dispute? So that is what the plaintiff and the defendant have to grapple with today. Now, there are a number of issues that arise. Uh, principally, or a prominent issue, is the defendant, the employee, saying, hey, look, yeah, I might have clicked the automatic sign or I might have squiggled on the new employment contract, but I didn't read it. Instead, I relied on some uh, contemporaneous email exchanges uh, and I didn't see that my notice period had been extended from one month to three months and I didn't see that the restraint of trade had been extended, extended and changed. And so what that means is it shouldn't bind me. Now, um, essentially, that argument fails and the argument fails um, for reasons essentially related to um, look, the law generally, uh, one of the decisions people point to is called Alpha Farm, where essentially if you sign something and you know uh, it contains legal stuff and you go, oh, I'm just going to uh, close my eyes to that or I'm going to pretend that I, uh, you know, I'm going to pretend that signing it has no real effect apart from some squiggly lines. 
essentially if you know there's legal stuff in there and you sign it, you are taken to have agreed to the legal stuff in there. Um, this was not a case where arguments such as the sort of non-S factum, like this is not my deed type arguments arose. Uh, and so the court was not impressed with the plaintiff's argument of, hey, I didn't read it. And so I didn't think I should be bind by, bound by it, even though I signed it. So we skated past that argument. The plaintiff, remember, had to prove there's a serious question to be tried. And in essence, what you have to do is to show that a restraint of trade, which is what this is, right? This is a contractual clause in an employment contract that prevents the employee from trading, from being employed by a competing employer. So you're getting in the way of another contract that's a restraint of trade. And you have to show, in order to succeed for a restraint of trade to be enforceable, that it's reasonably necessary to protect the legitimate interests of the employer attempting to rely on it. You've got to say, hey, it's fair that I can enforce this restraint of trade. Short point is, uh, the plaintiff succeeded on that point. The plaintiff was able to show that the departing employee was very senior, had some senior status and had some good relationships in the industry. Despite the fact um, the industry might seem to you and I quite quite large, you know, leasing office space in the central business district, the evidence suggested there were only sort of seven or eight players in the field and you tended to know who's who in the zoo, um, who's going to do some leasing and, and who are in the market for office space. So that there was evidence in relation to that before the court. There was evidence in relation to the access to confidential information like pricing and tenders that the defendant employee had and the defendant employee said hey look it's a small industry everyone kind of knows this stuff anyway and the court wasn't that attracted to that argument and found that no it was reasonably necessary for the restraint of trade to protect the legitimate interest the plaintiff had in keeping that confidential information confidential and the other reason um, the court found that it was reasonably necessary um, for the uh, restraint to be in place was because it would take a significant amount of time to train up a replacement, probably at least three months, possibly up to 12 months, to train up a replacement for the departing employee. So that was tick one of the injunction test met. Um, the court found that there was a serious question to be tried. So the next question is, what about the balance of convenience? Yeah, can we just pay some damages? Can we pay some money at the end? Are people going to be really put out by this quite violent um, sort of relief? Well, firstly, um, there might have been a thought that the uh, defendant employee might lose some money as a result of this, right? Um, the new employer might be grumpy. Well, there was actually no evidence before the court that there was a risk of the sign-on bonus. And the plaintiff actually said, hey, look, we're going to continue paying your salary for the full three months. And so the court said, oh, okay, well, there's no real financial loss there. Uh, and so, um, sorry, and in addition to noting the real commercial exposure that the plaintiff would face if the injunction was not granted. The court found that that balance of convenience weighed in favor of the plaintiff. And what that meant was that the defendant's application to dismiss the injunction failed. The injunction remained on foot. And until about May, 2023, the employee is prevented from competing with the employer slash former employer. I hope that discussion assisted you, and I look forward to chatting again soon over another coffee and in respect of another case note. Cheers.